2 Kings chapter number 6, you'll find yourself in this portion of Scripture in the center of the, the ministry of Elisha. And it's interesting. I love to read the, the, the things that God did through Elisha. In fact, earlier on in chapter number 6, we find him uh, building uh, a school of the prophets, so to speak, a place where he was training young men of the prophets. And uh, they needed to build a building. And uh, so they went out and they went to go chop down some trees to build a building. And one of the young men who had borrowed an axe from a fella went to take a swing, and the axe head fell off and flew out into the middle of a lake and the river there. And uh, he went and said, Elisha, alas, for it was borrowed. And in other words, I don't have any money. I've got to make good on this thing. What am I going to do? And Elisha takes a stick, and he throws it in the water. And the Bible says that the axe head, it didn't just float, it swam. That's what the Bible says. I don't know if it grew arms and was paddling. I don't know if it did you know, forward stroke, back stroke. I don't know what it did, but it came to the shore the Bible says the young man reached down and picked it up. I sell that to say this in the Sunday school hour. We were talking about how that God does things. And we were dealing with the story of Sarai and Abram. And how that just the chapter before, God had made a covenant with Abram to give him a son that would be the father of all these people of the nation of Israel. And yet he did not specifically tell him that it was going to be Sarah that was going to have the child. And so Abram and Sarai were getting up in years, and they thought, well, uh, I don't think that God remembered. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine thinking a thought like that? Or maybe they thought, uh, I don't know if he realizes how old Sarai is getting. She's 75 years old. You know, not, not really the prime age for bearing a child. And even though that Abraham was a man of great, great faith, we find Sarai and Abram attempting to help God with his promise to them. And we made this statement in Sunday school. Anytime we try to help God with his promise, it'll be a mess. Because God does things in ways that are not the ways we would do them. I mean, if this axe head fell into the water today, if we were over at one of y'all's houses chopping down a tree in the water, it fell in the water and it was a borrowed axe, we'd do one of two things. We'd either go get our swim trunks on and dive in after it and go find it, or we'd just run up to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy a new one and take it to the guy we borrowed it from. That's the way we would handle it in the day we live, isn't it? But God didn't do it that way, did he? He throws a stick in the water and all of a sudden here's, here's this accent swimming. Because he wants it to be known that the only way that happened was because of God, not because of man. And, and, and we, we left the, the Sunday school hour, and I hope you'll come next week because we, we left him on a cliffhanger today. At the point we left, Sarai is 76 years old. And God indicates that this is not the, the promised child that I promised you. And Sarai, could you imagine being 76 years old and bearing a child? But Sarai was not 76 years old when she had Isaac. You'll have to come next Sunday morning and read the chapter to find out this week how old she was. But isn't it amazing how God does things supernaturally? 
And by the way, don't we want Him to do that? Uh, wouldn't we want God to do something in such a way that when man looked at it, they would say, boy, what, what a great God. Not what a great man that is, not what a great person or a great Christian that is, but what a great God we serve. When we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought not to be to get people to think well of us. It ought to be to get people to think well of Him. And so we get to 2 Kings chapter number 6. We're in the time of Elisha. And just right before this passage that we're going to read, let me give you just one quick background here. The king of Syria comes. Now, at this point in history, the nation of Israel is divided into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the nation of, uh, that is known, the, the northern kingdom is known as Israel, and it took for its capital uh, the city of Samaria. And so Samaria, at this point in history, is the capital of Israel uh, in, in the sense that it's part of the northern kingdom's capital. And the king of Syria comes against the northern kingdom and tries to lay traps for the king. And every time he does, Elisha comes to the king of Israel and says, Don't go that way because the king of Syria is trying to trap you. And so every time he would not go that way and would escape the trap. And the king of Syria got mad about it. He called all of his generals together and said, What's happening here? Which one of y'all is spying for Israel and letting them know of my plans? And they said, None of us. There's a prophet in Israel named Elisha that tells the king, everything that you say and everything that you're planning. Well, the king of Syria got mad and he said, Okay, I want you to find out where uh, Elisha is. I want you to go down there and I want you to capture him because he is messing up all of my plans. And so they'd send a big group down there of uh, well-trained, armed men that are men of war and they surround the city where Elisha is. You remember the story. And Elisha's servant is sitting there and he sees these these uh, armies all around of Syria, around the city. They have compassed the city about. And he's nervous, and he asks Elisha, how shall it go? How shall it be? What's going to happen? And the Bible says that Elisha prays and asks God, because he tells his servant, they that be with us are greater than they that be with them. And so Elisha prays, and he says, God, open their eyes or open open his eyes so he can see and the servant's eyes are open and he looks around and the bible says that in the hills he sees flaming horses and chariots all around you know there's something that's interesting to me in this passage and and it may be so but i don't see it in the in the scripture i don't see where elisha ever saw them but he knew they were there now he may have seen them maybe the bible just didn't tell us that i don't know but isn't it amazing that, that Elisha knew they were there? And he tells, he tells his disciple, or he tells his, his servant, that, that they that are with us are greater than they that be with them. And so these armies come in to get Elisha, and when they get to the door, he tells them, he says, I, or he prays to God and says, I want you to make them blind. And so all of the Syrian army goes blind that quick. It's not man's way, is it? What would, what would we have done in the day we live? <laughs> Brother Harold's got a bunch of guns and dogs. <laughs> We'd have barricaded in the house, right? I mean, we're going to do hand-to-hand combat. Here's the armies of the Syrians, and they're coming to get me for doing the thing that God had told me to do. And I mean, I'm getting the AK out. I'm not going easily, you know. That's man's way. God's way is, 
I'll just make it where they can't see. And Elisha goes out to him, and he says, you're, you're, this isn't the place. This isn't the place. He said, follow me, and I'll take you to the place. You know where he marches them? Right into downtown Samaria, right to the king's palace where all the guards are, all the soldiers are. And then he says to God, open their eyes. And their eyes are open, and all of a sudden they're surrounded. And the king says, should I kill them? Elisha said, no. No, you've captured them. Feed them a good meal and release them. He fed them a good meal, released them. They went back to the king of Syria. And the king of Syria realized, this is going to keep going on and on and on. Might as well give up. And he packed up and went back home. Now that's where we're at in the story. I don't know how much time took place between the time that the king of Syria went back home and the time that we begin to read about in verse number 24. But apparently a period of time has taken place where the king of Syria has forgotten the kindness that was showed to him. And so look with me, if you will, in verse number 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. Now this word besieged, it was, a, it was a, a practice that was done in that day. It was a tactic of war where he would take the army and he would surround the city and they would cut off any supplies from coming into the city, any supplies from going out of the city. Many times they would even cut off the rivers that would flow into the city so that there was no water, there was no food. And basically he would starve them into submission. And so that's what he's doing here in verse number five, uh, 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? In other words, what am I going to do? If you need help, why don't you go to God? Because I can't do it. And that's what he's saying here. Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said me unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give me thy son, that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. It came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Can you imagine the condition they must have been in? They, they, were, they were so poverty-stricken. And understand, I, I, you've got to get the picture of what these folks are going through. They, they, were, they were willing to pay four pieces of silver, I think it said, for, for the, the dung of a covey of doves. They had debased themselves so much that two moms decided, today we'll eat my son, tomorrow we'll eat yours. Condition was awful. There was no hope. The people inside these walls 
had no chance of deliverance. By the way, we're in a world today where there's so much wickedness and evil that's going on. And the truth is, there's not one thing that man can do to escape it. It's got to be a supernatural act of an almighty God that allows us. Now notice what is said here in verse number 32. Verse number 31, excuse me. Then he said, this is the king of Samaria, the king of the northern tribes of Israel. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall, not stand, shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head. Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of the master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him. He said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What, shall, what should I wait? What, should I wait for the Lord any longer? He's blaming the man of God. He's blaming God. He's blaming everybody for the problems of the nation of Israel. The truth of the matter is the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, had made their own bed, hadn't they? They were the ones that had sinned against God. They were the ones that had reaped judgment upon their nation. They were the ones that were deserving of all that was coming to them. And yet all they could do was turn and blame God. And how many times do we see in the day that we live that people point to God and the things of God and the churches of God and the people of God and they point fingers and they say that's the problem with our country. Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. Elisha said, Tomorrow at this time, about this time, the famine will be over, the siege will be over. Everything will be well. God in His mercy will deliver the servant that was there with the king, who the king rested on, said, I don't even think that would happen if God would open the windows of heaven. And Elisha looked at the man and said, look, tomorrow you'll see it, but you won't get the taste of it. And there were four leprous men, notice this, four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, still still here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Here are four leprous men. They had nothing to lose. Everything to gain. 
These are men that were outcasts. They weren't even allowed into the city. In this day, leprosy was so prevalent and, and so difficult to control that, that when you were around somebody and you had leprosy, you were commanded by a law to raise your hands and cup them and say, unclean, unclean, so that they wouldn't even come near you. You were somebody that was rejected and reviled. And can I tell you this, that I don't care who or what you have done in your past and who you are in your past. Can I tell you this, if God can use these four lepers to accomplish His will, God can use you. And here are these four lepers and they're sitting there and they're thinking, if we go into the city, we're going to starve to death anyway. If we sit here, we know we're surely going to die. There's a chance we can go into Samaria. They may have compassion on us. I doubt it. But if they do, we're going to go in there and we're going to eat. And if we live, we live. If we die, we die. Can I tell you this? They had gotten to the point in their life where they just didn't know what to do. Have you ever been there before? One of the things I want us to see from the passage this morning is all of us can do something. Don't just sit there. Do something. Now, as we go on and reread this, the Bible says in verse number 4, if we say we will enter into this city, I'm sorry, verse number 5, and they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord, now notice this, I love it, verse 6. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to what? Hear a noise of chariots. Yeah, we talked a minute ago about how God does things differently. Here are men of war. We're talking about men, brave men of war. <coughs> you know how God defeats them? He makes a noise. He makes a noise. And these men run in fear of their lives. He makes a noise. Only God can do something like that. He makes them to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses, and their asses, even the camp, as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the utmost part of the camp, they went into one tent, and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again, and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well, this day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and tents as they were. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. And, Lord, use it as you would see fit. I pray that you would challenge and convict our hearts where it's needed. Lord, we're living in a day where there's an awful lot of wickedness and ungodliness. There's an awful lot of men and women that are really to be 
quite frank, are headed to a place called hell and they don't even know it. They're hopeless. They're helpless. Father, it's almost as if their souls have been besieged. I pray that you would help us as your people to see the need to do something about it. I pray that you would encourage us through the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word, that we would see from this passage the truths that you would want us to see today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here we have these four lepers going into the tents of the Syrians, and God has made a way of deliverance. He had told through Elijah, and I understand, or Elisha, I want you to understand this, that God had told through Elisha, the king of Israel, that tomorrow about this time, deliverance will be had. And everybody in the city can get what they want, and they can, they can purchase it for what they want, and the, the deliverance is yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to do anything about it. It's just going to happen tomorrow about this time. And the king goes back into Samaria, and we have no indication from Scripture that he said anything to anyone. Here is the city that is so depraved in their nature and so uh, 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 messed up with this whole siege thing and the idea of starving to death that we have moms who are entering into agreements to eat their own children. These are folks that are, that are hopeless and they are lost and they have no sign of any kind of deliverance or relief. And the king of Israel hears the news from Elisha. And the king goes back to the city and does absolutely nothing to tell the people about it. But there are four lepers that sit at the door. They're not much. They're a bunch of beggars. They sit at the gate and they beg for scraps as people walk by. They scrape their sores. They bandage as best they can. They're outcasts. People don't even want to be around them. In fact, if they come near, they're supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. And these four men, having not a whole lot left to lose, say, you know what, we're just going to, we're just going to go out here and see what can happen. We're going to go out here and find these Sumerians, uh, the Syrians, excuse me, and we're going to go into their camp. We're going to see what they'll do for us. They had gotten to the point where they had nowhere else to turn. And they were willing to relinquish whatever things they had that they were holding on to that were dear to them and to do what God had given in their hearts to do. They go out to the camp of the Syrians and they find nobody there. God had brought deliverance. By the way, as He said He would do. Amen? God always does what He says He will do. He brought deliverance and these four men come out there and they see the deliverance. Now understand this and follow me. The folks in Samaria are still starving to death and the water is still not there and the food is still not there and deliverance has still not come to them. And the king, the one that you would have thought would have come back from his meeting with Elisha and gotten up in front of the people and said, I want you all to gather around. I just had a meeting with the man of God. And the man of God said, and the word of God is that tomorrow about this time we are going to have deliverance. Y'all can rejoice in it and we'll look forward to it. But the king doesn't do that. 
these four men go out into the, into, the, uh, into the camp of the Syrians and they come to the first tent and they find food there and they feast upon the food and they find silver and gold and they find some of the, the, the spoils of the tent and they take it, the Bible says, and they go and they hide it. What a sad statement. <coughs> they take the goodness of God, the deliverance of God that He's given for all of Samaria. And they hoard it to themselves and they go and they hide it. They do it a second time. They go into the tent the second time and there's more food there. And can you imagine these lepers who've been sitting at the gate and really probably feasting on nothing but scraps for many years have sat down for a nice meal once. Now they've sat down a second time. And they gather the spoil of the second tent and they go out and they bury it and they hide it somewhere. Notice what it says here. Verse number 9 of chapter 7. Then they said one to another, We do not well. We do not well. This day is a day of what? Good tidings. This day is a day of good tidings. And we what? Hold our peace. You know what? These, these lepers were wiser than many of us are. You know what came into their mind? Their mind was this. There's good news. There's glad tidings. And we're holding our peace. And by doing this, now notice this, they understand we do not well. Today's the day of glad tidings. Today's the day of good news. And we are holding our peace. Can I tell you, my friend, here at Keith Ice Baptist Church, for the last 2,000 years, we have lived in a day of good news. When those angels came to those shepherds at night, the angels said, Behold, I bring you glad tidings of what? Great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Deliverer, one that will come and bring deliverance to your undone condition. One that will come and save you from the siege that the Satan had put around your soul that you could not deliver yourself from. God brought deliverance. We've been like these lepers, you and I. We have been able to partake of the deliverance that God's given to us. The sad fact of the matter is many of us have taken what God has given to us and we've taken it and we've buried it. And we've sat back and we've said, boy, it sure is good to be saved. We go to revival meetings and the preacher will preach about the goodness of being saved. And we'll say, amen, preacher, that's good. We'll go to the singings and our hearts will swell up within our minds and we'll say, oh, boy, this isn't, isn't it good to be delivered. I haven't feasted like this ever in my life. I don't remember living in sin and before I was saved ever having this kind of joy. Oh, the greatness sitting down at a table and the preaching is feeding my soul and the music is feeding my soul and to take it out the doors and go hide it. And can I tell you this? 
Those four lepers are wiser than you and I many times because they understood that when they did that, they did not well. Why? Because glad tidings, good tidings were there. But they held their peace. The message this morning doesn't have three points. It has one. And the one point is this. Do we do well? If you would ask the question this morning, am I doing well? I have tasted of the deliverance of God. I have feasted on the things that He has provided that I didn't pay for, I didn't earn, I didn't work for. He did it for me. And He gave it to me freely. And we do not well because we hold our peace. While back in Samaria, there are moms boiling their babies to have food. People that are buying the dung of doves so that their stomachs would have something in it. Trying to get some kind of nourishment. Can I tell you, all you got to do is look around the world today to see that the world is buying a bunch of dung of doves. They certainly are sacrificing babies, aren't they? Spiritually speaking. They're paying a high price for such a little thing and they're not satisfied. And they are starving. And they are heading for destruction. And their end, the Bible says, is death. Their end is a place of hell and torment. But can I tell you this? God has delivered it. God has allowed deliverance for every man, woman, and child that lives in the world today and ever has lived in the world. And He offers it freely. And He's given it to some of us. We've had the opportunity to partake of it. And we've feasted upon it. And we've taken advantage of it. But we do not well when we hold our peace. I mean, I, I was, had the opportunity the other day to share the gospel with somebody. And it took a little while to get to the place where I was going. And the whole way there I thought, man, what a privilege. I, the, the closer I got to being there, I, was, I got more and more excited. My son and I, the other night after one of the youth conference services, were, you can tell by looking at us, we're always hungry. So we were hungry after a service. And we were trying to find a place to eat, and a lot of the places were closed down, and we found a waffle house. There was a young lady in there. We walked in the doors. There was nobody in there except us and her. And I thought, here we go, an opportunity. I get to share the gospel with this young lady. No distractions, nobody around. She's got all the time in the world. And so I began to talk with her and make the connection and, and begin to start sharing the gospel. And at the moment I did, the front door opened up and here comes a family. I thought, well, I'm going to wait for her to wait on that family and she'll come back over and I'll keep talking to her. And the moment that she got done with that family, another door opened and another family came in and another and another and another. And at 12 o'clock at night, Jonathan will tell you, I bet there was 20 people in that Waffle House. We got done eating. 
she handed us the bill. She's in there by herself. She, I mean, she's scrambling. Her mind's frazzled. She's going every which way. And Jonathan's like, Dad, it's 1140. Other people are getting up, paying their bills and leaving. I'm sitting there thinking, if it'll just come down to just us again, we can talk. We sat there till almost midnight. And distraction after distraction continued. Finally, after mid-long, it was quite a bit after midnight, I finally told Jonathan he was tired and exhausted. I said, we'll go ahead and go. My intent was, I'll come back tomorrow night at 11 o'clock, see if she's there. And I look at that and I think I did not well. Because I was so moved to share the gospel with that young lady and did not get it all the way to her. I don't know what the cause of why all the distractions happened at just that time of night. We tried to get back the next night and Circumstances did not allow it. And I look at that and I think, you know, that may have been that lady's only chance to hear the gospel. And I left there heartbroken. We have great joy in sharing the gospel, don't we? Telling people about it, all the joy that it brings. But then those times we're not able to. Does it get to the point in our lives where we realize that when they're not able to, or we don't, that we do not well? Do we look at it and say, boy, I could have done something else. I could have either lived or died. I could have done something. I stand here this morning, my heart broken because I have not had a chance to talk to that lady again. I'll tell you how burdened I am. The place is four and a half hours away. I'm so burdened I'm really tempted to drive the four and a half hours to go back and see her again. You say, Brother Greg, that's four and a half hours. But it's eternity for her. It's eternity for her. For somebody. There's certain people that God seems to open the door to on some things and He he impresses upon your heart and you just know I'm supposed to talk to them about the gospel. There are certain times that you just sit there and it just dawns on you. I do not well by sitting here and not sharing the gospel. I do not well. This is a day of glad tidings and, and here I sit holding my peace. And that was one of those doors that I look back on and I know for a fact that God intended for that young lady to hear the gospel. I don't feel that strongly every time I talk to somebody, but I have felt that strongly this week. Can I tell you this, that I do not well when I do not speak of the things that God has given. The message this morning is just one question. Are we doing well 
Are we doing well? How far would we go to tell somebody the gospel? How inconvenienced would we be willing to be to share the gospel? What cost is too great a cost? How much would be too much for one soul? Would the money of driving and the time of driving four and a half hours be too much to pay for one soul to be saved? There's there's very little time left, folks. We live in a day where I believe the coming of the Lord is very, very near. And I will say this as a Christian. My heart thrills to think of it. But at the same time it thrills, my heart breaks. It breaks for those that I know are still not saved yet. They're sitting in Samaria. They've got a king that knows the truth, that knows the news. The man of God's told him. The king won't tell him. We're either going to be like those lepers or we're going to be like the king. We're either going to say, yes, this is a day of glad tidings and we do not well sitting here and we're going to go tell people about it. Or we're going to be like the king who takes it and says, I don't think it's really true. The question this morning is, do we do well? Do we do well? How many people do we contact every week? How many lives do we touch? How many opportunities do we have? I had the opportunity to spend a couple of hours with a dear friend of mine while I was on this trip. He came a small distance to meet with meet with me. He was on staff with me years ago down in Florida at the church. Great soul winner. He said, we went to the fair last week. Our church did. He said, we saw 58 people saved at the fair. Folks, those were people who realized there were some glad tidings to tell. There was a group of people that went to that fair that week and said, oh, we have feasted and tasted the deliverance that God has given. And we want to share it with others. We want to let all of the Samaritans know, all of those in Samaria know. We want to let everybody that's starving, everybody that's hurting, everybody that needs God's deliverance, we want to let them know about it. We got an opportunity here in just a little while. We're going to leave this building. And the truth of the matter is, I know and, and you know, we, we're, we have the tendency at least to come to church and to compartmentalize our church going, don't we? That's just a portion of our life and we, we try to keep it separate from all the rest of our life. And we come to church and this is the natural tendency of man. We come to church for our allotted time. And we might even hear the message and God might even speak to our hearts and our our hearts might even be pricked by the Holy Spirit. But it stays within the compartment. 
we leave church on Sunday at 12 o'clock or 12.15 or when I get done preaching today about 8 or 9 o'clock tonight. <laughs> and all that God has done, we keep compartmentalized. That was my church time. That was my time I give to the Lord, my token of an hour a week. Instead of saying, Lord, I want that, I want that truth to permeate my life. I want to walk out here and when I see people, I want my heart to be broken. I want there to be a thrill in my heart at the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. I want that to be one of the most exciting things I do in my life. That if I find out somebody needs to hear the gospel, I'm excited to do it. Somebody ever asked me if I'll be willing to go visit so and so or this or that? What an honor. What a thrill to be able to go and take the Bible, to share the gospel with them. When I'm out and around and God impresses on the heart, and I don't know if you've been there or not, but when God impresses on the heart in the moment, you know at that moment, that's the time, that's the place, that's the person we're to speak to. You don't have to force it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try to figure out how I'm going to talk about it. It's just natural. God just does it. Do we do well? We have a very short amount of time, folks, and there are a lot of people I would say billions in our world today that are rushing towards hell and they have no knowledge that God has provided the deliverance for them. They're sitting in Samaria when it's a day of gladness. We need to be like the lepers and say that we're going to come and we're going to tell everybody we can. God has delivered them. God has given them a way of escape. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, you have provided this way of escape through your son, Jesus Christ. I believe most all of us here today would know that. 2,000 years ago, you sent him to die on a cross in our place. That punishment that should have been ours. You took it upon yourself so that we could have eternal life. Lord, if there's someone in this room this morning that does not know if they were to die that they would go to heaven, they've never put their faith and trust in you. They've never trusted you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that today would be the day they would get that matter settled. But Father, for Christians today, the truth is, I pray that you would help break our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be some tears shed with the overwhelming burden of those that we need to share the gospel with 
Lord, that we would plead with You and for Your Holy Spirit to open those times and those doors of opportunity, that You would prompt us and help us to be ever ready to share the Gospel. So, Father, we do pray that You'll bless the invitation this morning. Just one simple thought, Lord. It's nothing major. Not, not a lot of points, not a lot of things to remember. Just one simple thought. Are we doing well? Lord, the truth, if I have to stand before You one day and give an account for the effort that I have put into sharing the Gospel with other people, Will I hear you say, you've done well? How often we are convicted in our own hearts and how little we share the gospel. How many times we're so distracted by the cares of our own life, the things that we are so involved in, that we don't have time to be bothered with those that are lost. Father, may we take the time. May your Holy Spirit prod and convict and direct and guide. And may we be sensitive to it, we pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, please, I'm going to ask no one to look around. We don't want to embarrass